one of my favorite characters in all the Bible, Nehemiah. Nehemiah received word that the walls of his beloved city, the city of God, were lying in ruin hundreds of miles away from where he was. And yet it touched him. It bothered him. He, he, he couldn't get it out of his mind. The Bible tells us that he became troubled in his spirit. That when he went before the king, the king could recognize that something was on his mind. That something tr- clearly had him bothered. And this was not a state generally you would go in before the king. And so the king asked him what's going on. And he told him about the walls of his beloved city lying in ruin. And he requested that he could go back and he could do something. He could lead people to rebuild those walls. And so the Bible tells us through the book of Nehemiah that that's exactly what he did. He he went back as a leader and he stood up and he led people in rebuilding the walls of the city. And here the Bible says that he didn't do it by himself. He didn't go in and take charge. He didn't go in and say, okay, you know, everybody just get out of the way and let me handle it. The Bible says in this verse that they built the wall, the entire wall, we built the wall, and the people had a mind or a will to work. Now, you go over just a few chapters later to chapter 6, and you look at verse number 15, and I know this is familiar to so many here. And yet the Bible says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Fifty-two days was all it took. It had been lying in ruins for a long time. Nehemiah catches wind of it, and Nehemiah says, I'm going to do something about it. He's hundreds of miles away, and yet he knows that he has uh, the... The, the, uh, the things that he needs, the resources at his disposal, that he can go back and rebuild the walls. And so he took it upon himself to go back and do that, to lead people in building the walls. What had been lying in ruin for so long, Nehemiah does in 52 days what no one was willing to do, to lead people to rebuild the walls. However, don't you love the way that the Bible reads in Nehemiah chapter 6? where even the enemies of God, even those who are outside of Christ, as it were, even those who are outside of God, they were not a part of His people, when they saw all the work was accomplished and it was done in just 52 days, they were disheartened within themselves because they perceived that this was not the work of Nehemiah, this was not the work of the people of God, but this was the work of God Himself. We're talking about culture. We're talking about evangelism. We're picking up kind of where we left off this morning. And I I just want to call to mind that sometimes we, we may perceive that this is just insurmountable. This is just a task that is too big. It's just a task that is too hard. It is God asking too much of me. I just don't have this within myself. I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't think I'll ever know how to do this. And so I'm not even going to try. And I think, what if Nehemiah didn't try? What if he didn't try? You see, the work that that we're called to do is God's work. And if God asks us to do something, in fact, if He commands us to do something, we need to rest assured that He's not giving us a task that we can't handle. That He's not giving us a task that we can't do. Because what God is saying is, I'm going to do it with you. I'm on your side. I'm going to help you. Satan trembles. When God says, I'm going to help my people. 
Satan trembles when God says, I'm going to do this. Satan trembles when the Lord's work is being done because he knows he can't be more powerful than God. Now, you and I need to know that. You and I need not to doubt the power that is found within God. I listened to a sermon recently by Brother Hiram Kemp, and I love to hear Hiram preach, and so do you, I know. And Hiram was talking about evangelism, and I love the way that he put it. He was talking about four calls of evangelism. And he said, ultimately, there there are four calls. And and very briefly, let me just tell you what he said. In these four calls, he says, number one, you have an upward call. And that is God commanding us to do something. You have God speaking to us. And he said, "If if nothing else, that's enough. If Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all, all creation, go and make disciples of all the nations, then that is enough. If God says, that's my command to you, that's what I'm telling you to do, then we should be willing to do it. Remember, in a congregation, evangelism is a way of breeding obedience. It's a way of showing obedience. It is God speaking to us and saying, this is something you must be about. This is what you must be doing. You must be going out and helping lost people come in in order to be saved. God says, that's what I'm telling you to do. And so if we shake our fist at God and we say no, well, I don't want to stand before God like that. Do you? I don't want to stand before God like that. Having shaken my fist and told God, I can't do this. God says, I'm with you. I will help you do this. And this is what I want you to do. And so there is is this upward call. That is God telling us that this is what we must be doing. But there's more than that. I think this is a wonderful thing for us to be thinking about. There is an outward call. That is, those who are outside of Christ, as it were, are begging for us to help them. They are begging for us to help them. If you go to your New Testaments in Matthew chapter 7, this is the best way I know how to illustrate it. And I want you to think about this because when you read this for yourself, You know that this is a promise that Jesus makes, and this is a promise that you believe in, you trust in. Read it. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. (coughs) Do you believe that? Do you believe the words of Jesus there that, that if you ask, you will find? That if you, are, if you ask, it will be given to you. That if you're seeking, you will find. That if you knock, the door will be opened. That is to say, that if we were outside of Christ, and we were truly seeking Christ, and we were seeking the truth, don't you know that God somehow, providentially, is going to make sure that we find it? That's the promise that Jesus gives. How many people are out there knocking? How many people out there are asking? How many people are out there seeking? And do you know how God is going to help them find the truth? It's you and me. That's how He does it. Now, I don't know exactly how that works, but I believe providentially that's exactly how God works. I believe that providentially those who are out there seeking the truth, God is going to use you and me to go out and help them find it. They're out there and they need us. We're just going to sit by and let them... Let them dangle? Are we just going to sit by and say, God, use somebody else? Are we going to stand up like Isaiah and say, Here am I, send me? Truth is, 
Again, God, God can take care of this. And I'm not, I'm not taking this too far, but, but there are people within my sphere, within my realm of existence, people that I know, people that I see, people that are in my world. And there are people that are in your world that aren't in my world. People in my world that are not in your world. And there are people in our, our sphere, sphere who are seeking. And I'm telling you, God can use you. He can use me to help them find. i got to think like that, you see. I've got to be thinking this way. I've got to be thinking, God, I need you to use me. I need to find those who are seeking. I need to help them find you. I found you, and it's not fair. It's not fair if I do nothing to help anybody else. It's not right. I need to be seeking those who are, who are looking. There, there should be something inward. You've got this uh, upward, and you've got outward, those who are outside of Christ, who are seeking Him, that we need to be uh, willing to go to and help find the, the Lord. But there should be a desire within each of us, an inward desire. An inward desire that says, I need to go. I want to go. I've got to find those who are lost. You think about Paul in Romans chapter 1. And he had that desire, didn't he? And was there a greater preacher than Paul? There was one. His name was Jesus. But think about Paul and his preaching. But think about why he wanted to preach. Think about what his desire was. What motivated him. He says in verse number 13 of of Romans chapter 1, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He says, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Did you catch it? As much as is within me, I am desiring to share the gospel. I am desiring to preach the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Well, Paul, give me more. Look at chapter 10 in Romans. You see chapter 1, as much as is in me, I want to preach the gospel. In chapter 10 in verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire... See, as much as is in me, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That is my heart's desire. That's all that I'm about. That is all that is in me is for people to be saved. As a Christian, that really needs to be the way we think. It really does. That's my desire. I can get so caught up in the, in the day-to-day just like you. And I can, uh, you know, I can worry about time and I can, I can worry about all other things and, and uh, the Jayhawks and, you know, all kinds of sports. And I can, I can find ways to pass a day, I guarantee you, very easily. Paul says, I have one thing on my mind. My heart's desire is for people to be saved. I just wonder if that's on my, in my heart, if that's what I'm about. Hiram said there's one more. Don't miss it. There's a downward. There's a downward call. And that's in Luke chapter 16. And whatever you think about Luke chapter 16, the, 
The bottom line is you've got two men who die and they go to two different places. One ends up in paradise in Abraham's bosom and the other ends up in torment, a flame. And the, the rich man who winds up in torment, you remember he, he begs Abraham, he's, he begs him, can you send Lazarus just to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue? I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham says, no, that's not possible. There's this great gulf that is fixed between you and me, and there's no one that can pass from here to there. And so then he makes this request, right? In Luke chapter 16 and verse number 27, I beg you. You see, he's not just asking a simple thing. He is begging. I beg you. Verse number 27, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. (laughs) There are those who are crying out, those who have died. Now listen, when I'm studying the Bible with people, I make it very clear that I am not in the judgment seat. I think it is a mistake to tell people one way or the other, right? You're going to harm, do much more harm than good. Leave God in the judgment seat. But... I have had those people who say, they come to this realization, right? You've had it happen to you. Where you're studying with somebody and they come to the realization, my loved one didn't do this. My loved one wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of their sin. My loved one was not added by the Lord to His church where the saved are found. And all of a sudden the light bulb clicks on and they say, well, if I go through with this, if I go through with what you're teaching me from God's Word, then what I'm doing is saying that my loved one is lost. And I say, no, I'm not saying that. We'll leave God in the judgment seat. But listen to this. If they are where you suppose they might be, do you know what they're saying? They're saying, please do not come here. That's what they're saying. They're saying, please don't come here. This man begged Abraham to go back to his father's house and please warn them, please beg them, please tell them, do not come where I am. That's heartbreaking. I I don't want to be heartless. You know, over the years of preaching, one one of the tough things... I find myself at times getting hard. You know, you've been through that before. I've been in that circumstance a hundred times, and it just doesn't affect me like it once did. The first time that I was around a dead body, that had a big effect on me. Now, it doesn't affect me like it once did. Right? And so I have to really guard against getting hardened. And I have to ask God a lot, please don't let me get hard. Please keep me soft. And I don't, want to get, I don't want to get hard when it comes to this situation. I don't want to be hardened. And I don't want to say things that are harsh. I want to help people to become Christians. I want to look at those who are lost out there and I don't want to be hardened against it. I want to have a soft heart. I want to be moved with compassion like our Lord was. I want to have it within me that Paul did to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with those who are lost. Because the more we see it, the more we get hardened against it perhaps. And I think that's sad. I never want to get to a point where I look in the face of somebody that God loves and not show them love. I want to guard against that. There's not any work in the church when it comes to evangelism that is unimportant. I want to be clear tonight. And we're going to get into some, uh, some practical things here in just a moment. 
But, but before we do, I want to say this, that when it comes to evangelism, there's a wide variety of ways to be involved in evangelism. Now be careful, because you'll take what I'm about to say and you'll use it as an excuse. Right? And you won't challenge yourself. You'll say, okay, good, I can do this, that means I don't have to do that. Okay? And you'll, you'll excuse yourself and you'll justify it. Okay? Please don't do that. But I do say that, that we have a, a variety, looking across the room tonight and thinking about this congregation, there's a wide variety of talent and abilities, right? There are certain things that some are going to excel at and others that others are going to excel at. And things that I might uh, think I can do okay, I'm terrible in other ways. Okay? And so it does. It takes everybody. And there's not a work that is unimportant when it comes to saving souls. You don't have to be the one in the baptistry to get the glory. In fact, there's a lot of people that do a lot of things to help somebody get there. It really doesn't matter who's in the baptistry with the person. It just doesn't matter. Some make it a, I don't know, I've known preachers over the years and people who have been very, very good evangelists, they, they keep track of everyone. Okay, I've never been that. I have no idea. I have no idea how many people that, were, that I've baptized because I know it's taken a lot of people to get to that point. There is not a work that is unimportant. But we need to know that there is work to be done. Right? It's not okay to sit on the sidelines. It's not okay to sit this out. It's not okay to say, I'll let somebody else handle it. It is not okay. Because Jesus says, do this. Okay, so it's not okay to sit out. But there's a lot of things that we can be about that are very important that can go into helping somebody be right with Jesus. I want to think about that. I also want to know that all work is seen by God. And so while we think, well, maybe this isn't glorious, or, you know, maybe nobody even knows what I'm doing. They don't even have a clue what, what's, what I'm doing in my, in my free time. They have no idea who I'm talking to. They, they don't even know the studies that I've been through, the studies that I've got set up. Understand one thing. God knows. And let that be enough. All right? God knows what we're doing. God knows what we're about. I really like Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. I like the way that Jesus puts it there in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse number 16, You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. It's like a tongue twister, right? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Again, the context here directly applies to those who are false teachers. But Jesus, in general application, promises that all people are known. All people are known by God, and they are known by the fruit that they are producing. God knows what we're doing. Don't you love the number of times that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that our Father who sees in secret will reward openly? I need to take comfort in that. And I don't need to be doing what I'm doing just to be seen by others. I need to be doing what I'm doing because I love the souls of men, and I love the Lord, and I love the salvation that is found in Him, and I want to help people who are lost to be saved. That's it. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9, the writer of Hebrews says, Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, 
Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, when it comes to evangelism, I don't want to be be sluggish. I don't want God to look at me and say, Adam, you're just slow. You're not doing this uh, with the right motives or in the right ways. But I take great comfort, don't you, in verse number 10, that whatever I'm doing, God is not going to forget it. That whatever I'm doing toward His name, God says, I'm watching, Adam. I'm watching what you're about. I know what's in your heart and I know what you're desiring to do. And so if anybody else sees it, it really doesn't matter. But God can see it and that needs to be enough for us. And so I want to pay attention to that. So please think about that. Do you want to know one of the biggest hindrances to good evangelism? Christians failing to live like Christians. It's one of the biggest hindrances, isn't it? And so we need to pay attention to this. I want to live like a Christian. I want to behave myself as a Christian. And I want to work because this is the work that God has called us to do. Now, let me give you some practical things that, that I'd like to see us put in place. I've had conversations with our shepherds and conversations with Mike and others and some things that I, I would like to see put in place. Some areas where where maybe you can see a need and, and you can be able to involve yourselves. And these are things that I hope we can get started in the relative near future. <clears throat> I want you to write this down. And I want you to think with me. And what I want you to do is I want you to give this great thought yourself. All right? Some of you amaze me at your ideas. I... I sometimes really struggle with ideas. I like to implement things, and I like to be a part of things, but sometimes when it comes to ideas, I'm not your guy. Some of you will have great ideas, and I hope that you won't keep those to yourself. I hope that you'll come to to Brother Lynn and Brother Terry. I hope you'll approach me, and I hope you say, I've got an idea. I've got something in mind that we might be able to try, a way that we might be able to, to reach out to this community, to this neighborhood around us. And I hope if you've got an idea, young people, I'm looking at you too. If you've got an idea, I hope that we can talk about it. The, the, the culture that we're trying to establish is a culture of evangelism. And the best way to do that is to do it collectively. Everybody gets involved. Everybody's thinking about souls and how to reach those who are lost. And so I hope if you have an idea that you'll share it. First thing I want us to see us do is pray more about the lost. Do you know, someone says, I don't know that I could sit down and do a Bible study with anybody. You know, that, that sounds extremely daunting to me. Okay, understand. Do you know what everybody can do? Everybody can pray. Everybody And so if I were to ask you tonight, how much time have you spent praying for the lost? How much time over the last week did you mention any specific names before the throne of God of those who are lost? Now this is what I'd like to see you do. I've handed these out before. I'm not going to hand them out tonight. These bookmarks, 
Maybe you still have one close, or maybe you still have one at home, or you know where one might be. And on these bookmarks, we have the opportunity to write down names. And on these bookmarks, we can write down a piece of paper. Take out a piece of paper. Sir, I'll be with you in a little bit, okay? You can take out a piece of paper, and you can write down five names. You can just write down five names. These are people in your sphere of influence. Right? Follow me. Don't, don't lose me. You've got five people within your sphere of influence that you know are outside of Christ as they're here tonight. You know that these five people are outside of Christ and you are just uh, sick about this and you want to do anything that you can do to help them to be right with the Lord. And so you write those five names down. I don't care if you write ten. I don't care how many you write down. But write down some names and start praying for them specifically. Do you really believe in the power of prayer? Nehemiah built a wall in 52 days. A wall that had been in shambles forever. It had been in shambles for so long. And in 52 days, they went with the help of God and they rebuilt the walls because the people had a mind to work. Write down your names and start praying about it. Write down your names and be thinking about these people and the fact that they're lost and a way that we might help them to be saved. Write down your names. Now, number two, we're going to pray for these people specifically, right? We're going to pray for these people specifically. And the second thing we're going to do, I really want to see us install this. And if you can help with with this and the organization of this, I'm going to throw this out there. I I want you, I've been giving this a lot of thought and I've got some ideas of how we can do it. But you might have some better ideas. I really want to see us write cards I really want to see us start doing this on Sunday nights. I don't think it'll take long on a Sunday night to meet over here in the fellowship room, to have cards lined up, and to be able to send cards to folks. What we're going to do is, we're going to take those names that you have on your list, and something is going to happen in their life. That fourth person on your list, they lost their job last week. That third person on your list, they've got surgery coming up in a couple of weeks. That second person on your list... They've got a a loved one that they've just lost. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the names on your list and you're going to give me those names and addresses and we're going to flood them with cards. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I've watched this work. Julie's parents were here a couple weeks ago. Julie's dad was in a motorcycle accident. And I watched a grown man cry at my kitchen table when they were here. And he said, Adam, we got a hundred cards from people of your church. A hundred cards. I, I show up there at Westside and everybody's asking how I'm doing. They, they all remember I've been in an accident. They're all asking me how I'm doing. I'm telling you, that makes an impact on somebody. And I think we can make an impact on people's lives by flooding them with cards. And I want to see us do this. Now, the challenge is, I don't want to send them the same card. I don't want them getting 20 of the same card. Right? And so we need to have a variety of cards and we need to sign it in a variety of ways. And each of us write a personal note. But what we're doing is we are just working the soil. We're just sending a card. We're just letting them know that somebody out there cares about them. From the West Side Church of Christ, we're a group of Christians and we love those around us. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to send cards to them. Now you need to write the names down and then you need to tell me if they've got something going on in their life. And we're going to flood them with cards. And I'm telling you, we'll pray about this. This will make an impact. 
There'll be Bible studies that come out of that. I'm confident. I'm confident because I've heard too many people say it works. I think that's a way to help people. What are we doing? Listen to me. I want to be clear about this too. I have a lot of projects to do around my house. Julie's dad is a good project guy. He wasn't moving quite as fast and he didn't get them all done. Right? Usually he does. But he didn't this time. He got, got some things done, but there's still some projects to be done around my house. When I'm thinking about the souls of men, they are not projects. That is not a project. I'm not out there for a project. I'm out there to take the gospel message to those who are lost. Those are souls out there. I just want to do whatever I can to help them to be saved. I want to help them. Right? I know that I have what they need. It's in the pages of this book right in front of us. And so I want to write down names. I want to spend more time in prayer. What what I want to say also about prayer, Brother Terry, Brother Lynn, if you're listening, I want us to write those names down. And I would love for our elders at the end of every service to give us a couple of minutes just to bow in silence and pray for those on our list. You see, that's how you build a culture. We're always thinking about those who are lost. I want this to constantly be on our minds. And give us a couple of minutes at the end of every service to think about those that are lost, those that we're praying for, and we know that God can help us. Here's the third one. Visitors. I think we're really missing out in this area. I want us to think about visitors. I'm preaching this one on a Sunday night because uh, I, want to talk, I want to talk about this for a minute. One of the hardest things is you invite people and they don't come, right? You invite and they don't come. You invite and they don't come. You invite and they don't come. And and you really want them to come. You really want them to be here. You love these people and and you know they're going to love these people too. And so you invite and you you want people to come. The visitors have come. They're here. They've arrived. They've walked in our door. They've sat down in our pews. They've sung praises to God with us. They've sat down and listened to a wonderful scriptural sermon uh, from from Mike and when he's preaching. And and so they've sat here and they've met us and we've loved on them. And what's happening is we've got far too many people walking in these doors and we love on them and then they walk out and they don't come back. And we don't know them. Who was that? Anybody know? I don't know. We've got to devise a way. a, A way to get their contact information so that we can flood them with cards, so that we can invite them back, so that when it comes time for VBS, we can send them an invitation directly. You see, these are ways that we continue to bring people back in and they continue to hear the message of the gospel. This isn't hard, right? It's not rocket science. This is something that we can do. We've got to devise a way to do that. I would love to see us put together packages, little, little bags for our visitors, little ways of saying, thank you for coming today. Really hope you'll come back. Something that will re- they'll remember the Westside Church of Christ. And we'll get their information and we'll write it down and we'll keep that and, and we'll send them cards and we'll thank them so much for coming. Doesn't that sound practical? Doesn't that sound like a good way to reach out and to, to thank people for coming? They've already come. It seems simple to me to be able to do something like that. You see, we want to instill a culture that says, I want to reach out to those who are lost. I want them to be invited. I want them to feel welcome. Brother Jeff is working on our uh, new movers baskets. 
Now, I learned something about this. I visited with Brother Cody McCoy about these new movers baskets. Now, we've done that a few times, all right? And, and many of you have been a part of that. And, and you've taken these baskets and you've, uh, you've dropped them at the doorstep of somebody in our neighborhood who has moved here or they've changed their electric service. What I didn't know is that when that happens, house to house, and you see those little house to house, heart to heart publications out there? House to house sends them uh, sends them one of their periodicals. It sends them one of their flyers. And it introduces them to the church. And that has the Westside Church of Christ information on it. So house to house, just go ahead. They've already sent that. And house to house also has a postcard that they send welcoming them to the neighborhood from the Westside Church of Christ. And so house to house has already sent that too. So they've already got, (coughs) excuse me, two pieces of mail from the Westside Church of Christ. And then we come in behind that with a, with a nice basket and we welcome them to the neighborhood. Do you think that won't have a way of making an impact? You see, it's not going to impact everybody. It's not the number one thing we can do. But it is a way that we can come in and we can be effective. You can be a part of that. You can help assemble some of those baskets. You have a way of delivering some of those baskets. You see, this is a part that you can play. This is something you can do. And this is all a part of evangelism. This is all that we're trying to do is to reach out to our neighbors and to introduce them to the Lord. Invite, invite, invite. Oh, I've tried inviting. I mean, in the last six months, I've invited two people. Neither of them came. Your odds aren't great, but I know this. The more people you invite, the better chance you have of them coming, of getting someone to come. You're going to have to invite several people before one will come. But the more that you invite, the better your chances are of getting someone to come. I wonder, could I find someone every week to invite to come worship God at Westside. It doesn't seem like, again, and, and you, we live different lives, and, and we go different places, and I understand we're going to see different people, but I wonder how difficult it would be for a lot of us to find one person to invite every Sunday. Come. Come. You see, that's not that hard, is it? It's really not that hard. And I know what someone's going to say. Adam, I don't live anywhere close to that building. I don't live anywhere close to the building. And so for me to invite, I'm going to be asking someone to drive a long way. And I don't know that they're going to be willing to do that. I don't know if they're going to be willing to do that either. But let them decide. Let them decide. You know something about West Texas that's different than anywhere else I've ever lived? People drive an unbelievable amount. They drive. They'll drive three hours and they won't even think about it. It's amazing to me. Invite them and let them say no. Invite them to hear the gospel. You see, these are practical things that I think we could put in place and we can do it pretty quickly. These are things that I think we could be about. I think that these are ways that we can be reaching out to those who are lost. Now, there's work to be done after these things, right? You write cards, and then, then a visit's going to need to be made. 
Somebody's going to need to show up on their doorstep. All right? You say, well, that, that's really not me. I don't mind to write a card, but I don't know if I want to be the one to show up on the doorstep. Well, there are those here who are very capable of showing up on the doorstep. And then, then you're going to say, well, okay, I show up on their doorstep and, and I invite them to, to, to have a Bible study. And they, they agree to have a Bible study. Now what am I going to do? <coughs> I don't know how to do a Bible study. Let me help you. I love personal Bible studies. I love it. And there are others in this room you love it too. I mean, you enjoy it. If I could fill up my day with Bible studies, I would fill up my day with Bible studies. I love it. I really, really enjoy it. And it's not for everybody. And it's, that is not more important than laying a foundation and getting to that point. Getting to that point is hard. It's really hard, isn't it, to get Bible studies set up. It takes a lot of effort. A lot of work goes into that. There's a lot of preparation that has to be done to get to that point. And so none of it is unimportant. All of it is important. You want to do Bible study? Let's sit down and work it out. I'll help you. There are others in this room who will help you. What I, what I want to challenge us to do is to write down those names and to get busy praying about it. And when there's a life change and something in their, in their life that happens, I want you to tell me about it. I want you to bring me their name and their address, and we're going to send them some cards. And we're going to start with something like that. Our elders are going to give us an opportunity at the end of every service to pray for those who are lost. And we're going to start praying and praying and praying. And this is going to be a part of our culture. It's just going to be who we are. We're going to be eyes open always to those who are lost in the community around us. And we're going to start to see some changes because it's not in us, it's in God. And we're asking Him to help us. And He's going to help us. And I'm convinced of this. Let me tell you about two people very quickly and then I'll be done. 18-year-old. Sui Tile. Sui. S-U-I. She's a sweet little girl. She's 18 years old. She, she lives in this neighborhood. She receives house to house, heart to heart every two months. She received house to house, heart to heart, and she contacted the building. And she said, I'd love to sit down and study the Bible with somebody. You don't get those phone calls every day. Those are fun. I said, I'll do it. So I met Swee. I took Evan with me the first time. And we went to meet her at Midland College. Funny thing, she, uh, we were emailing each other. I was substitute teaching over here at the high school that day. And she started emailing me and we were emailing each other back and forth. And I was asking her, where, where could we meet? And at this point, I didn't know if I was talking to a male or a female. I didn't know how old this person was. Swee is all I knew. I had no idea who, who this person was. And I said, where can we meet? And, and this person said, at my school. And all of a sudden, I was like, what are we doing here? She's in college. And she wanted to meet at Midland College. And Sui and, and, uh, and Evan, we, we met once, and we met once with Julie. And then, and then she got busy with school. What I want to say is, she received house-to-house, heart-to-heart. It took absolutely no effort at all on my part or anybody else's. It just received in her mailbox. and it, She said the article in it was talking directly to me, and I need, I need to talk to somebody. Now I want you to pray for Sweet. I'm praying that we can get back together. We text each other, and, and we see how things are, but, uh, but we haven't been able to sit down for a while now to have another study. 
But I want to, I want to, I just want to challenge you not to write anybody off. This is an 18-year-old, and you would have you would have said, Oh, she's 18. There's no way she wants to rope in a Bible. But she did. Let me give you another name. Victoria. Evan wants to make a little more money. And so he wants to expand his dog walking business. He also does pooper scooping. And he wants to expand his little empire. And so, uh, so we decide that we post on our neighborhood Facebook page that, that Evan is open for business. you got dogs that need walked, and Evan wants to come and, and walk your dogs. So there was this lady named Victoria who responded. And she said, I've got two dogs that I'd, I'd like him to walk. And so I went with him the first time to, uh, to go over to Victoria's house and walk the dogs. <coughs> As we approached the house, in her dumpster outside, one of those little roll carts that we have in our neighborhood, it was piled clear full with cases of empty beer. Empty beer cases. And, uh, and you could tell empty beer bottles had been thrown over the, the fence in the yard. And so if you walk up to that house, what's your first thought? There's no interest here, right? When it comes to the gospel, clearly this is somebody who's not going to be interested. And so, shamefully, those, those thoughts crossed through my mind. I've got somebody here who's not interested. I walked into the door. Evan and I walk in the door of her house, and she's a, she's a 20-something uh, young lady, and, and she's got this house and a couple of dogs and a cat. And over in one, she got all these empty beer cases out in the, in the dumpster, and then we walk in the front door, and over to the left, I mean, she's got a display of hard liquor like you wouldn't believe. I mean, it, it's everywhere. Over there in a corner, all kinds of it. You've written Victoria off. So we went and walked her dogs, and we came back. And Victoria says to me, she goes, I don't want you to think I'm weird, but I looked you up on Facebook. Are you a preacher? She said, Pastor. I said, I'm a preacher, yes. And she said, I've been dealing with anxiety. And I went and bought a Bible yesterday. And I said, can I see it? And so she went and got it. She was all excited to go get the Bible. And so she brings this Bible back. And it's not a Bible that I would have purchased, but I told her, that is such a great Bible. I, I mean, it is. It's got everything she needs. It's right there in the pages. And I told her that. I said, Victoria, everything you need is right there in front of you. I don't know where that's going to go. All right, we're still laying a little foundation, a little groundwork. We're still working that one over. But don't write anybody off. God is too good and He's too powerful. You let Him work. You just be the instrument. I want to instill... I think we're still here. I want to instill a culture of evangelism. And I know you do too. I know you're interested in it. And I know this is something that we can do together. And I'm not saying that this isn't something that we've been trying, right? I, I don't want to say that we're, we're starting over. But what I am saying is I want to give great attention to the details. I want to be really focused on what we're, what we're doing. And I want to try. I want to try and try and try until we find something that works. Because there are lost people out there who need the Lord. And we're going to help them find Him. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, then you have an opportunity to be saved. You have an opportunity tonight to come to the Lord. 
you have an opportunity to obey the gospel, the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving message where there is hope and only where there is hope. In the blood of Christ, your sins can be washed away. Faith, repentance, and baptism. In baptism, the, the sins are washed away. And tonight, you can be added by the Lord to His church. That's where the saved are found. Tonight, if you, if you are a Christian, I hope tonight that what you'll leave here is thinking about evangelism. I hope tonight that what you'll do is be thinking about the saving message of Christ, that you'll be thinking about those who you know that are lost, and you'll be thinking, 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 how can I reach them? And this is something we can be doing together. Tonight the Lord's invitation is extended. If you need to respond, then please do, while together we stand and while we